0: Karen and I were invited by Pastor Jeremy to attend the Wednesday night meetings in February and March here at the church. And the purpose of the meetings were to talk about the structure of the United Methodist Church and LGBTQ issues facing the denomination and facing this congregation. The discussions were profound. And then, in the middle of March, Karen and I took off for Los Angeles for three weeks. When, and when we returned, it was the first week of April. And at the next Wednesday morning clergy gathering, Jeremy asked me if I'd preach for him this morning. And on this issue. And I could not um, choose not to. It's such an important issue that affects all, all religions, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, Catholics, Methodists, Congregationalists, United Church of Christ, and the rest. Our congregations and denominations on this issue are all over the map as to where individuals, congregations, districts are in their viewpoints. Some churches have been struggling with this issue for a long time. For example, a long time ago, we had trouble ordaining women. My denomination started ordaining women as pastors 150 years ago. And It's also important to say that our churches and denominations are all over the map. Once again, I refer to the United Church of Christ, my denomination. Uh, 45 years ago, it ordained its first gay pastor. I mention this in no way other than to say Other churches are doing other things in different periods of time. Um, Last Sunday, in Pastor Jeremy's insert in the order of worship, he wrote a a long document. And he uh, he said, we will ponder the theme for June and the story in the book of Acts that will create conversations about the LGBTQ issues. It goes on to say, we will be challenged to see that God's love is bigger, that God's love is bigger than we ever imagined. And he says, we will study the book of Acts every Sunday this month. Well, what I'm about to say now is going to get me into trouble with your pastor. I'm not even going to come close to the book of Acts today. My text is from the book of Micah which John read. I'm going to begin with certain biblical verses that we might find to be helpful in dealing with these issues Uh, and they may challenge us. The second I'm going to share my growth journey in dealing with LGBTQ issues. And third, the next part of this sermon is from Mike Kinman. And from Mike Kinman's Ash Wednesday service on March 6th. Mike is the rector. Uh, Karen and I met on Sunday, March 10th at one of the nation's largest and most progressive churches in the nation. All Saints Episcopal Church in Pasadena. They have four services every Sunday morning. And in their order of worship every Sunday, there's a list of some 40 names that are on the prayer list that are read by a liturgist to the congregation. And in that list, two names popped out. Alex Trebek, Luke Perry. Well, the Bible tells us that we are God's children. The Bible tells us that God loves each of us, that each person is a child of God. Not just the faithful, not just those with the doubts, not just those standing on street corners begging for money, but all means all. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God makes clear human beings, all humans, are created in God's image. Each person is loved by God. Isaiah 43, 1 states, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You all are mine. Isaiah reminds us that we are loved and claimed by a God who redeems us, not because of our achievements or because of our deserving, but because of God's devotion to all, and God means all people. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, for all people, male or female, all. All are one in Christ Jesus. In Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, it says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In this verse, Matthew tells of Jewish laws and prophecies. To love God and to love our neighbors and to love those people we don't like at all. And then in Psalm 139, we read, For it was you who formed my inward parts. You kept me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, no matter who or where you are in your life. And that means you. All means all. Your sign says it outside. There is only one God and one people. We are all God's people and nothing can separate us from our creator. Well, secondly, after eight years in college and divinity school, I began my ministry in 1966. In my first church, I was minister of Christian education in my second parish, I was minister of pastoral care. In those early years, a group of no clergy, a group of us clergy, would go annually to Springfield, Massachusetts, every Lent, for a series of hearing guest preachers and scholars, uh, sort of uh, prep us up for Lent and Easter. In the late 60s and in the early 70s in single and particularly multiple staff churches. Many of us would argue with our colleagues saying it's too dangerous to our congregations to have gays and lesbians on our staffs. Later, we'd wake up one day to discover that we had gays and lesbians on our staff. Some of us were slow learners, Some of us learned a little more quickly, and some of us took a long time to learn people, regardless of their sexuality, are terrific, talented, good, sacred souls. Then the next thing we knew in the 80s and 90s we began to discover we had LGBTQ who were longtime members in our congregations and it never occurred to many of us. One day uh, in the late 70s, when I was serving a church in Connecticut, a funeral director called me and asked me to meet in private with him. We met. He told me that an older woman's daughter who was single, uh, that her daughter had died of a disease few had heard of, AIDS. The mother was distraught. The mother told me, and the funeral director, nobody could ever know what I do the funeral, Of course, I said, it would just be me, the mother, and the funeral director. No one else would ever know about her daughter. No one in this high-class community could ever know. And they still don't. In the church I served in Maine, There was a well-known physician and his wife. They had two daughters and three sons. The physician was head of the Medical Society. One son was a biochemist in Chicago. Fred was gay. One night Fred left a bar and was secretively followed home when he was beaten, stabbed, murdered, stabbed 33 times. I remember the night his father called me. The police did not follow up. Fred's older brother, Tom, a stockbroker in Atlanta, gave up his job. He moved to Chicago and did his best to try to find the murderer of his brother. More than a year went by, but Tom found the killer who was arrested, but not for the murder, for robbery. By then Tom was very sick. He came back to Maine, moving in with his parents. And then came that winter night, mom and dad, the girls, the surviving brother and I sat in their living room around Tom's hospital bed. We prayed as Tom's soul ascended into the heavens, and nobody in the family could ever tell the physician's colleagues the story due to his professional concerns and the social standing of his wife. When I came to Woodside in 1982, Bob and Jill Ramsire, some of you may remember them, were not only friends but colleagues. Bob was an ordained American Baptist minister, but he worked as a social worker at the Flint Osteopathic Hospital. He was an ordained minister. Bob and Jill helped establish the Wellness Network program in the Flint area for homosexuals, for gays and lesbians. And one day in the late 80s, Bob called me and asked for help. There was a 20-year-old boy in Saginaw who had AIDS. The doctors in Saginaw would not treat him. Volunteers drove Elmer back and forth for his medications. And then time passed. Bob called again. Elmer died. Would I do the funeral in Saginaw? Yes. On Christmas morning when Elmer was six or seven, Child Protective Services came to remove Elmer from his family and house. His mother had given him a teddy bear for Christmas. And as Elmer was being taken to the door, he broke away and ran to his mother and gave her his teddy bear, he said, so she would always remember him. Well, for years, Elmer moved from center to center, house to house, street to street. His last job was digging graves in a Saginaw cemetery. At 20, Elmer died. At the funeral home, when I walked in uh, the first time to meet with people there, there were only 15 street people waiting. And they told me about Elmer. And then the funeral director ushered me into another room to meet a couple of other people. The one he wanted me to meet was the Great Lakes ship captain. I don't recall now how he met Elmer. What matters is the captain gave up his job for a year to take care of Elmer. On the day of the funeral, 200 street people filled the funeral home, mostly from the streets. And along also were Bob and Jill Ramsire and the captain. And when the service was over, everyone went to the cemetery. Elmer was buried in a grave that the cemetery gave him. What does the Lord require of us? Surely you know. Well, on Sunday, March 10th, when we were in California, Karen and I uh, were at the home we share with our family there, and we decided that morning... I uh, spur of the moment to attend All Saints Episcopal Church in Pasadena. As I said, they have four services every Sunday. And after the service, we met with the rector, Mike Kinman, and he gave us a copy of the Ash Wednesday sermon that he gave. <coughs> in his sermon that he preached, Ash Wednesday night, uh, He said, I spent much of today at Men's Central Jail with my fellow chaplains from other churches. We went down the rows of cells, looked in the eyes of our beloved siblings in exile as I reached between the bars, placing my ash-covered thumb on a forehead and saying those words of Ash Wednesday, Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return." After a few hours, Kinman said, we went across the street to the Twin Towers. The Twin Towers have the distinction of being two things at once, the world's largest jail and the nation's largest mental health facility. We went to the top floor. Imagine a kennel, only a kennel, that would be shut down and the owners arrested if dogs there were being treated badly, human beings kept in isolation. No clothes, except for what is called a suicide vest. An officer walks with Mike from cell to cell, cell stopping, shouting to a prisoner through a thick plastic slit in the door through which he could shout loud enough so the person on the other side could respond yes or no. the question. Would you like me to put ashes on your forehead? The man inside, naked, except for a blanket wrapped around his waist, nods. Our eyes meet. His hand reaches through. I reach in and grasp it. I wonder when the last time was another human being ever touched him. Would you like me to put ashes on your forehead, I asked, said Kinman. What's this for? What does it mean, he asked. Devante, you are blessed by God. You are beautiful, and you are powerful. Remember that God loves you. There is no tomb so remote. There is no wall so thick. There is no wound so deep that the love of God cannot find and penetrate and heal you. Mike Kimman's sermon reminded me of so many souls, of so many injured men and women and children, of so many LBGTQ people who know that isolation, that pain, that suffering of folks like Devontae all of whom are children of God, our brothers and our sisters. What does the Lord require of us? Peter Marty, publisher of the Christian Century, in a recent issue, reminded readers of Martin Luther King Jr. King said, Not until we find the positive strength to love our brothers and sisters, will the world become an abundant place for all. Tolerance may be a necessity in certain political or legal realms of our diverse world, but elevating such behavior to default status will never be good enough for Jesus, who said, love your neighbor, not tolerate your neighbor. That means all in all, we all must do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with each other and God. Amen.